Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Brittany. Welcome to the Resource Room Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today as we talk all about self-care. But before we dive in, will you please tell listeners just a little bit about yourself and kind of where you've been in education and what you're doing now? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, My name is Brittany Blackwell. I have been teaching resource and organization skills and co-teaching special education in middle school for the past eight years. But before that, I was a kindergarten teacher for three years. I am also a teacher resilience and retention strategist in my agency, Teaching Mind, Body, and Soul, where I inspire teachers to prioritize their mental health and individualize their self-care and resilience routines so that they can reduce stress, make a bigger impact in their classrooms and communities, and make teaching a sustainable career. And that's the key right there, right? Making teaching sustainable because so many people really do, whether it's burnout for a long period of time or even just like, you know, a rough month here or there, teacher burnout is real. And I can't wait to hear about kind of what you do to help with that. Um, So before we dive in, though, I kind of want to talk a little bit about like, what is self-care for you, because I feel like some people have different definitions of what self-care is or what it isn't. Absolutely. So self-care to me is more of a, it's a, it's a easy to describe when we're talking about, you know, bubble baths and things like that, but that is not what self-care is to me. Um, Self-care to me is all about taking care of your mental health and prioritizing yourself without reducing your impact to the classroom, your communities, your students, that sort of thing. And so when I look at self-care, I look at it the same way that we think about with our students. Like we want to individualize that. So for one person, it might be bubble baths, but for another person, it's more diving into where they want to go, what their vision is with their career and their impact with their students. But also, um, you know, just looking at ways that we can not just professionally develop, but personally develop. Mm. Um, So that's really self-care to me. What do you see people doing that they might think is self-care or they might call it self-care, but actually like, no girl, that's not self-care. What do you see people doing? So I don't really see anything that anybody, I think it's so individualized, similar to how we do with our students in special Mm -hmm. education. We we can't say that one way of doing things is not good for somebody because it's all in what makes them feel good. So when we're looking at self-care and we're looking at like overly being overly stressed, we want to reduce our stress, right? So we want to find ways that our stress is reduced. And so we might, if for some people that may be taking a bubble bath, right? But for others of us, it's really just 
journaling and mindset work. Um, and so it's more than just, oh, I'm going to go get my nails done. I'm going to get a mani-pedi. It's looking at, okay, this is where I am currently. This is where I want to be. And what are the steps that I need to take in order to take care of myself so that I can be the best version of myself? Where would you recommend someone start? Let's say I am up to my eyeballs with stress and paperwork and all things teaching, and I know I'm losing my marbles. I know I'm taking it out on people at home or staff members or, or you know, just all the things that we kind of self-sabotage sometimes. Where would you recommend someone in that situation? Where would they start? What would they do to kind of get on the right path to self-care? So one of the things that I talk about, um, I have a membership and it's called um, the Individualized Educare Program, and it's all for teachers who are creating a sustainable career in teaching and how to create an individualized self-care plan. The first thing that we do is we evaluate, just like we do with our students. We want to evaluate ourselves and see where we are currently. What's our personality type? What is our vision? And we really dive into what that is, but I always recommend that we get more clear on who we are in order to make those decisions going forward. Um, so that's definitely the first thing. The other thing that I, that I recommend people do is really look at what they want to do versus what they're doing. Um, we do have a lot of things that we have to do as educators, right? But we want to look and see, okay, what are the pieces that we just don't enjoy? What are the pieces that we don't like? If it's you know, paperwork. How can we simplify that? Or how can we delegate that? Um, ways of really making it more sustainable is all about seeing where you are, being um, self-aware. I was almost thinking even, where do you, like, what is your dream look like for your job? Or what does like the ideal week or your ideal day, what does that look like? Because that is so different for everybody. But if you're, you know, at a 10 out of 10 of stress level, what would even like a 5 out of 10 stress level look like for you? And just that desire to, to reduce that, what would that look like? Do you see people really needing more help managing the stress level at school or at home? Or maybe it's a combination of those two but where do you see people needing the most help? Is it what they're doing at school? Kind of like how you were talking. What are you doing to maybe overcomplicate things that are making things a little more difficult? You know, what could you simplify? Or is it, you know, the mom with two kids who's running their kids to this practice and that practice and doing all the things? Where do you see people needing more help with? I honestly just see people needing more help with work-life balance in general and setting boundaries to where, you know, if they're overextending themselves, then they're able to like objectively look at their schedule and say, you know, this doesn't make me feel good. This is too much here and really setting apart. Okay. This is work and this is at home. And so I think that the biggest thing with that is just determining who they are at work and who they are at home because people often mesh the two together. Um, we see teachers who all they are are teachers. Like mm -hmm. they, they only can see themselves as teachers. And I talk about this in my um, program, but 
when I was going through a divorce and it was like the worst year of teaching ever for me, um, the arguably one of the hardest classes of my career, I went to a therapist because it was time. I was not feeling well. And she asked me to describe myself. And all I could tell her was I'm a mom and a teacher. Mm, and yeah, teachers are so much more than just being a teacher or being a mom. They are, you know, their own individual. And really, you know, when they can connect that, their actual personality and find that passion within themselves, then they're able to really extend their impact, you know, to their families and to their classrooms when they're focusing more on themselves as an individual and taking really that time. I think that's so amazing and powerful. And I feel like listeners will be like, oh crap, what am I if I'm not a mom or if I'm not a teacher? Like, what would I say about myself? Because that's kind of what I think. And I, I love that I'm a mom and I love that I'm a teacher, but what else is there? You know, so Wow. And you're absolutely. still you something before that, before right. you were a teacher and before you were a mom and you want so many different things for your life than just those impacts that you're making there when you're really taking care of yourself and you're being more self-aware and you're making those changes and having that personal development, then you're able to see yourself as, oh, well, I'm also an artist and that mm -hmm. really helps me as a mom. I'm also an artist and that really helps me as a teacher because it helps me to be creative. So really just looking at themselves and seeing what they are as a person, you know, that really makes a difference. Absolutely it does. And really just kind of planting that idea really to me makes the wheels start turning here and really start thinking mm -hmm. about what else are you? Um, yeah. A second ago, you talked a little bit about boundaries and I I even told you before we started recording, like, oh, I had a lot of questions for you, but boundaries was not one of them. First off, what would you say is a boundary that many teachers either could or maybe do have? Um, and then how do you go about setting boundaries with your teaching and your work life or, you know, your work life and your home life? How do you start setting boundaries? So for boundaries, boundaries are really just where you're you can find where your boundaries should be. If you're angry, if you're <laughs> um, frustrated about something, those are where your boundaries need to be. Those are like your telltale indicators of you needing a boundary. Because mm -hmm. if you're angry about something, then there's a way to fix that. So we need a boundary with that. A lot of times what I hear teachers say is that they are frustrated with the amount of paperwork that they have. Mm -hmm. and, especially um, in special education like that's absolutely. we're overwhelmed with that absolutely um and so one of the things that they do like doing is really focusing on the students right um so when we're looking at a boundary with paperwork we see lots of teachers taking work home mm -hmm. i absolutely cannot say it enough but the more that we are taking our stuff home and doing that outside of the classroom, then we are not showing the higher ups that we need more support in those areas or that we need more time to do these things. Um, so a, a boundary, especially with special educators, is really kind of setting the time that you will work on things. If you're one of those people who wants to work outside of school hours, that's fine, you know, mm -hmm. but um, 
one of the things that I would say is leaving at, at the contract time, leaving when your contract day ends. Um, and anything that doesn't get done, it just doesn't get done. And really advocating for yourself in that way. So one of the things that I teach in my program is the Dearman strategy. And it's a way of just expressing your needs and wants without affecting your relationships. But basically the Dearman strategy is a DBT um, dialectical behavior therapy strategy um, that really teaches you how to go into a situation and express your needs and wants without affecting your relationship with the other person. May it be administration, um, another teacher, your students, you can use it in any aspect. Um, but it, you're basically telling somebody how you feel and then you're willing to accommodate them and have that give and take in a conversation without, you know, impacting how you feel and all of that. So it's, it's a really great way of, um, setting that boundary, but I definitely recommend, you know, if a teacher is having an issue with having to stay after school, just really being able to advocate for themselves and share with their administration, you know. I've been staying after school Tuesday, Thursdays to try and get this paperwork done. And that's outside of my contract hours. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really overwhelmed with what's going on. And I'm feeling really overwhelmed with the amount that I have on my plate. Is there something that we can do to either allow me to finish paperwork during my contract hours? Or is there a way that maybe we can split this work up in some way, shape or form? Um, so that's really how the Dearman strategy would work. Do you have any books that you would recommend or maybe websites or, or things like that? If somebody was sitting there thinking like, oh man, I need this in my life because I, I'm even thinking about myself. I would stand up for everybody else, but I never stand up for myself. And so I, I could see that being something that with some reading or some understanding, I could maybe be better at. Absolutely. So lots of teachers, I want to say this too, lots of teachers are people pleasers, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that is a huge impact on why I think that teaching as a whole, we do more for other people and our students, you know, want, will take all that we will give them. Mm -hmm. We have to have boundaries in place. So the first book that I would recommend for any people pleasers is called Untamed. I cannot think of the author right now, but it is a great book about how to really release the people pleasing. Um, another one is Onward, Cultivating Emotional Resilience. It's by Elena Aguilar. It's a great book and it really kind of breaks it down like month by month, how we can become more emotionally resilient. And I know that teachers really hate that word resilient, but we're all resilient. We just want to cultivate more of that so that we're able to kind of take give and take with um, what's going on in education right now. The other book is um, um, How to Get Out of the Burnout Cycle. Um, and it's a great book. I can't think of the author of it right now either, but um, it really talks about how we get into the cycle of stress and then how you get to um, the cycle of balance. So it's a really good book. Those all sound great. And I can link those in the show notes too, so that if people are interested in that, it could be a quick link over to Amazon um, because I think, like you were saying, teachers are just naturally, I think, hardworking and people pleasers. And 
I, I think for me, I love to put in the hard work. I love to see those things because, you know, you, like you see the fruits of your labor and you see the results of that most of the time, maybe not always with all the mountain and paperwork, but you know, it, we're willing to do those things because that's just who we are. And so I think sometimes we don't even realize that other professions or other people do not operate like that. And so to then be able to read a book and be like, wait a minute, where is this mindset like idea coming from? Other people don't think like this. Like I need to change that a little bit. I need to rethink what's happening here. Yes. Um, and you see that a lot with educators, especially the idea of continuing to give and give and give and give and not really take moms do that too, you know? Yes, but they like, do. <laughs> you know, and not really focus on what you need in order to sustain your energy levels, your, I mean, really just a career in education, because we see so many, like this year alone, there's like 55% of educators, according to this 2022 survey, that are wanting to leave the profession, because it is way too much. But I really think that if we can cultivate these boundaries and set these boundaries and really focus on where we can develop personally, then we'll be able to advocate for ourselves in a way that will allow us to sustain that career so that we're not leaving the career that we loved once we're making the change in that career. Because you know who's not going to change this whole situation in education? Burned out teachers. They're just mm -hmm. not, you know, they're not going to be able to. So once we're able to really focus on ourselves and really see what we need, we'll be able to see the changes that need to be met and advocate for those. So you mentioned a boundary of, you know, kind of leaving on at your contract at time, which I feel like some people may be thinking like, how am I going to ever do that? Like, that's so difficult. And so besides that, besides that boundary, what other boundaries do you see yourself kind of telling teachers over and over set this boundary. This is something that you need to do. Is there something that you see often besides the don't, don't stay there till five o'clock every night kind of thing? Right. Um, so the other boundary that I see with the teachers that I work with, another boundary is interpersonal relationships, just co like teaching with co-teachers. Us in special education, we see mm -hmm. the difficult that can be co-teaching, right? Yeah. Um, we might have different personality types or whatever. And so one of the things that I talk to my teachers a lot about is how to set boundaries with your coworkers so that you can maintain that relationship. And um, one of those things is really just, you know, when something is uncomfortable to you in a conversation, say, because lots of times in teaching, we see rumors or gossip and things like that, that can happen. Um, and really just being able to say, Hey, you know, like that's not really something I want to talk about or just changing the subject to, um, you know, I'm not really comfortable talking about that, but have you seen the new Netflix series, blah, 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 you know, really just being able to keep that conversation and keep the camaraderie there, um, that we need to be able to work with somebody. Um, without having those big breakdowns, because that seems to be a lot of the situation that I've been seeing with my teachers is they're having difficulties working together, similar to what we see with our students right now, like mm -hmm. our students are having trouble 
with interpersonal relationships. And so it's a lot of that, um, especially as a, as a co-teacher. I see that with like when they're, if a general education teacher is talking about a, one of our students, you know, and well, they just need to do this or they just need to do that, that sort of thing. Um, a lot of my special education teachers talk about that and how, how do you keep the relationship with that teacher? So it is hard. Actually, I was talking with my principal a while back and he said, I feel like teachers, especially special ed teachers do not realize how much, you know, you think, Hey, I'm a teacher. I'm going to work with kids and it'll be great. And uh, that part is great. It's all the other adult relationships and being a special ed teacher, you really have to be able to balance all those relationships with all of these other adults. Mm -hmm. And I do sometimes feel like maybe some people either have the personality to be able to do it or not. Mm -hmm. but I, I do think it's a big, big struggle for a lot of people, but I feel like sometimes I do it well because I am a people pleaser and I can smile and nod. And if you need to vent about a child or another teacher, I can listen, but that I, I'm not going to let that affect me or change the way I think or whatever, but that's not always easy for everybody else. Exactly, exactly. Especially first year teachers. I see yes. that a lot with more with first year teachers just really being like a culture shock to them. Like, oh my gosh, I have to also interact with adults? Like how do yes. I do that? <laughs> you know? Or then the the assistant who comes into your room and it may be thirty minutes, but it makes you nervous that like, oh my gosh, every day mm -hmm. she comes in here and I feel like she's judging or you know, things like that that are just hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's um, another thing that we talk about in the program is really just how to change your mindset. And one of those is like, we have this idea, especially people pleasers, they have that idea of, oh, did I mess that up? Or did I do that right? Or did I give enough to this kid? Or did I do enough to that? And really how to change your mindset, depending on where you are. Um, like for people pleasers, it would be one thing, but with like teachers who are more, aggressive, like a, I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagrams, but a type eight Enneagram, uh -huh. um, how to handle that mindset and really shift that in a, to a way that's meeting your vision, your goals, all of those things. What types of self-care um, practices or acts do you recommend? In my mind, I think, you know, maybe it's morning routines, bedtime routines, things that you're doing every day versus the pedicure that you have once a month or something like that. What are some self-care routines or um, tasks, activities that people could do? So that's another thing that we talk about. We talk about how self-care isn't just activities um, because what we see is that that work-life balance type thing that's going on. We have um, this we've got to do, we've got to do this, and we've got to do another thing. We've got to get the paperwork done. We've got to take these kids to, so it's not all about the activities. It's more about the intentions. So if you have the intention that you are feeling that need to relax, just as long as you're setting that intention that, yeah, I'm going to, when I go here and I, you know, am doing yard work, while that is an activity, right? The intention more is to relax and kind of take in nature. Um, 
or going to a movie or date night or something like that that is what you need because different personality types and different types of people need different things. So some people may need more personal connection where they're going out and they're having a dinner party where somebody else might need more in, like inclusive time. So it's really hard for me to say a specific activity or routine or ritual. I also dislike the word routine because <laughs> I'm neurodivergent. So I really like, I dislike that, that term, but I know that people use that. I think more of the term like process, um, like the process of getting me to de-stress versus the routine to get me to de-stress. Okay, I like that. Yeah, because lots of times for for me and for the students that we serve, you know, a routine may be good for some, but for others, the routine is more of a process. And it's less about you have to do A, B, C, but more you need to have, you need to feel A, B, C. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And to me, process also feels more like a journey. It's more something that you're doing. And again, maybe that goes back to your word intention. You're doing like with an intention versus just like, I wake up and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that. And maybe I don't really want to, but that's just become the norm, you know, versus no, it's a process of how do I go from here to here? Yes. What does that look like? And the other thing that we talk about a lot is like how you go from here to here for different people. Like some people would see that as overwhelming, you know, like I want to start feeling better. Well, I feel like crap right now. I'm in burnout and burnout. Like you can't get rid of it quickly. That's not a quick fix, mm-hmm. I think, you know? And so we talk about how to kind of make micro habits. Um, Tiny habits is another book. That's really great. Um, but just those little micro habits that you have for yourself that really just set that intention for you and get you on a, on the road to recovering from burnout. I couldn't agree more. And even I think our special ed teacher brains can relate to that. You don't tackle a big behavior or a big academic goal by just like, oh, we're going to read these this type of word or we're going to be able to answer these questions or solve these math problems. We don't wouldn't do that with academics. Right. It's not going to happen when we're making a big change on our life either. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. What would you say to people who can't afford or think that everything, you know, going to get pedicures would be expensive, going to watch a movie, some of those things cost money. What would you mm-hmm. say to people who feel like I can't afford self-care? That is a good one. That is a good one because it's really not about, like I said, it's not about activities mm-hmm. and how much things cost, but it's more about like the intention behind it. Like you don't have to spend money to relax. You can go outside and just enjoy fresh air. That's free, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah sun and fresh air. Um, you don't have to do those things, but once you start putting the intention behind certain activities, then it becomes, Oh, okay. Well, I feel good. I feel good about, you know, going outside or gardening or, you know, things that don't cost any money. So that is a really good question. Okay, good. Cause I just, as we were talking, I'm like, I really feel like 
that is a big thing also for teachers, especially if we're talking about new teachers, you know, mm -hmm. early on in your career, you may not, or you may be single. And so if you're living by yourself and one income and we know rent and mortgages and things are high, like I could see a tight budget to be, Yeah, I can't even afford this, you know? What would you say to the teacher? And this is to me, by the way, <laughs> what would you say to the teacher who feels like some things that might be considered self-care might be selfish or I don't have time for that. And I, and I feel like it's because we do put everybody else first. What would you say? What's the message that that teacher or that person needs to hear about, you know, taking time for yourself? Oh, I just don't have time. It's selfish. It's not productive. So the one thing that I would say to the teacher who is having difficulty with the I don't have time mindset is really changing the way that you're thinking that I don't have time to what you're prioritizing over that. So what are what are you prioritizing over the time that you would need to recoup or recover or, you know, relax or, you know, those types of things? What is the priority? Because when we say we don't have time for something, really we're saying our priorities are elsewhere. We have the priority of doing this versus this. However, with how you mentioned it, like, you know, you, you feel like it's selfish. Well, taking care of yourself is not selfish. That is more along the lines of something when we're thinking about selfish things, those are things that wouldn't be helpful for other people that's only helpful for ourselves. But when we're taking care of ourselves and we're taking that time to kind of have that intention, it's actually making a bigger impact on those around us, our children, our students, our communities. When we're able to kind of focus on, oh, I need, I'm having some low energy. I need to figure out a way to kind of boost my energy. What can I do? Do I need exercise? Does my body need, um, you know, healthier foods? Am I making healthier choices that way? Or is it really that my brain is on overload? Do I need to focus more on something to spark my motivation in that way? Um, and really asking yourselves those questions because when it relates back to, do you have time for that? Are you prioritizing an activity over an intention? Or what, where is the thought process with that? So really, it's all about changing your mindset. And I really think that's the root of so many problems that we have. Don't you think? I mean, so much comes back to mindset. And even um, I, a while back for my business, had a productivity coach. And so she would, you know, because for me, I am working full time. I'm trying to run a business and also be a mom and a wife and all of those other things. And so it's like, how do you do all of those things without losing your marbles? And so all she would ask me sometimes when I would be like, well, I could, can't really do this because of that or whatever. She'd be like, but why? But why? And so then as you keep asking why or, well, what if it was this way? Every time I'm like, I feel really silly for even saying I can't, you know, take time to do this because of that, because it just sounds ridiculous. Yeah. But I think in the moment, I'm just feeling the overwhelm and I can't make sense of some of those things. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of teachers feel that way 
because we do have so many things. All you can see is like, seriously, you expect me to take time to do, you know, whatever it is. I don't even have time to get this done or that done. And the overwhelm is, I think, blocking the mindset shift that many people need to make. And so what I would say to that is really to just take five minutes to completely brain dump, like every single thought that you have, Mm -hmm. five minutes, set a timer and just write all of those things down. Afterward, you, you don't have to keep going with it. You know, you could just, as long as you've got it all down, it's out of your brain and it's not able to clutter it. And then if you have an extra five minutes after that, there you go, 10 minutes, it's only going to take 10 minutes to just say, okay, these are the must have things I need to do. These are the, eh, I could do that, but I don't actually have to do that. Or these are things that I want to do. And just having that little 10 minute brain dump session where you're doing that for five minutes and then reflecting on the priorities, that can kind of change your mindset there. Like, this is what I'm prioritizing. This is my intention with this. I do need to do this, but I don't have to do it right now. And then even putting that priority and that intention kind of then allows all the other things to go away. You know, like, okay, it'll get done when it gets done, Mm -hmm. but the world isn't going to end if that list is still hanging out in a week, in a day, in a month, whatever that is, you know. Brittany, could you tell us a little bit about your program? Because I'm feeling like, wow, I I think I need to sign up. When I started this call, I thought I was in a really good place with self-care. I feel like I do a lot of self-care-ish things. But now I'm feeling like maybe there's more. So what does your program look like? How is that structured? How do people join? So one of the way, one of the things that I noticed, and you may have experienced this too, but like a lot of the professional developments that we had as teachers, they would come in and give you this menu of things that you needed to do, right? These self-care activities. And then they just send you on your way. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't tell you like how when or where. And so I was like, this, this is not, this is not good. This is not working for our teachers. The teachers would leave the professional development and say, you know, like that was a waste of time. I didn't learn anything. Or they would leave feeling like you just gave me 10 more things to do. Like that's not self care. (laughs) Right. So in my program, I learn about, like I teach about how to integrate your unique preferences, your personality, your lifestyle into more actionable steps towards reigniting your passion and living the life of your dreams. It's, it's really an amazing community type thing. The other part of those professional developments that I thought was lacking was the lack of community. There wasn't this place where teachers who wanted to feel better could go to get that, you know, just that pick me up, that time to kind of talk with other teachers that are going through the same thing and not feel judged because oftentimes when you're in your building and you're, you know, you're might say something to one friend, but then you're like, oh gosh, she probably thinks I'm just the worst teacher. So they didn't, they didn't really have that. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing was that there wasn't this ability to, you know, like teachers would get this menu of things to do. And then they'd be like, well, I don't even know how do you meditate. I don't know how you do this. Now I've got to go Google that. So that's another thing on the list of things to do. And so I was like, okay, a way to kind of combat that is under the program, we evaluate, we um, develop a plan, right? 
We utilize um, tools and services similar to an IEP. If you're, this is like the perfect way to explain this. It yes. looks like an IEP. Um, and then we change our mindset. We accommodate just like we would with our students. <laughs> and then we reevaluate just like we would with our students. And it goes through all of these ways that we kind of come up with this plan, which actually doesn't look like an IEP in the end because it's more about us. Um, but then once they're, once the students are kind of coming up with ways to tackle whatever their goal might be, they needed a self-care support library where they would have be able to kind of see, okay, you know, I think this meditation thing might be good for me or EFT tapping might really be good for me. I'm really anxious where they can just kind of go and get that training for that without having to search for it for hours on Pinterest or try to look for the best book or read through a, you know, 200 page book. They just have instant access to that type of thing. And so it comes with, it's like a self-care course where it's really individualizing your self-care routine, your resilience routine, and then um, guided self-care practices. We do group coaching, um, special guest speakers, especially if they're about things that I am not an expert at, which would be like classroom management. Um, we had Teaching with Heart Gina come and talk about classroom management and how to make that more sustainable so that you're not burning out. Um, that was a big thing that the members really wanted to see. And so it's just pretty much like the roadmap to resilience. That's the best way that I can explain it. It's, it's a really amazing program. Also, just hearing you talk about it, I feel like who else other than a special education teacher to make a course like that? Because it is so individualized and what I might need might be different than what somebody else might need. And that's fine. But without a, an evaluation, how do you find it? How do you know right. what my strengths and weaknesses or, you know, what I, that's special education right there, you know? So mm -hmm. that is Perfect. I love it. Yes. I, you know, one of the things that, you know, a lot of teachers would say when they would leave those professional developments is, well, I don't even think that's something that I would do. That's not even something that I would do. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I came up with this idea in my head and I was like, you know what? That doesn't make sense. You need to individualize your self-care routines. You have to individualize what you do for yourself. Mm -hmm. Just as we would do for our students. I even think, and maybe this is just my simple mind, but, you know, earlier you said, you know, for some people, self-care might be going out on a date night, going out with friends, doing things like that. Not me. That is not my idea of that. That's maybe more the extroverted person where for me as an introvert, I'm like, actually, can I get like everybody out of my house for a night? And I just didn't read a book. Like yes. <laughs> that's my idea of self-care or, or just a way to decompress or, you know, even I will jokingly say like, if we have been at a family function or whatever, I'll be like, guys, I need like a 10 minute sensory break here. <laughs> like just, yes. Leave me alone. And so even things like that, it is so different, maybe even based on introvert versus extrovert. What, what gives you energy or what depletes your energy? Exactly. And we talk about that too. Yeah. Different ways to kind of evaluate yourself because there's not just one way like introvert and extrovert. There, we're like 
multi-dimensional beings. Yes. <laughs> so we have to kind of pick apart these different parts of ourselves and really see, oh, okay, well, I do this because of this. Or I people please because that's my personality. So really being able to determine what's causing you to burn out is the best way to kind of go about your self-care routine. Uh, that sounds amazing and something I think everybody needs. Um, one thing as you were saying, you know, being a people pleaser just then, I was thinking, what about the person, and again, maybe it's me, who is thinking, I don't want to change who I am. You know, like being a people pleaser is who you are. That's just, and so not that I have to bend over backwards for everyone, but what what would you say to the people who are like, I don't want to change that aspect or I don't want to be somebody who's like, eh, don't care if you're happy. Great. Well, you know, changing your mindset sometimes might then change a little bit of how people see you. What would you say to people who are thinking, I don't want to change that or is that something I want to change? I think that would be something that somebody would need to ask themselves, is that something they want to change? I think you said it right there. Is that something I want to change? Because if that's not something you want to change, how does that impact you going forward? So if you're not liking that everybody's coming to you for this, that, and the other, and you're constantly giving for yourself, well, what can you change? You don't have to change your personality, but what can you change? Can mm -hmm. you change how much of yourself you're giving? Can you set boundaries about how much you're going to give? Or can you, you know, sprinkle in some time where you're just focusing on refilling your cup? And I really hate that saying, but I just said it anyway. <laughs> but like refilling your cup so that you're not trying to pour from an empty cup, you know? Mm -hmm. And just being able to make those small changes instead of changing who you are and what you're proud of yourself for being. Besides people pleasing, what other like common problems or common things are people struggling with in the realm of teaching? So I think another one is just the idea of being a martyr. Um, I think every teacher goes through a period of time where they are on the martyrdom continuum and lots of Lots of teachers get out of that pretty quickly because they realize, you know, they're not there to save anybody. They're, you know, taking that time away from their families. Like I, I can hear people say, well, I spend, you know, more time at school than I do with my family. And so that always brings up the question, you know, is that something you like doing? And most people will say, well, no, no, not at all. Well, then why do you do it? You said that earlier about your productivity coach. Well, why do you do that? Why do you take time away from your family? Well, I have to. Do you? Who do says? You have to do yeah. That? Yeah. Who says that you have to do that? Oh. And then it kind of, but I do see a lot of teachers who are just giving so much of themselves that they don't have anything left to give mm -hmm. and they are no longer able to say, you know, this is what we need to change in education right now. They're just stuck in this idea of burnout and there's no one coming to save the burned out teachers. And I, I felt like if I didn't start showing up and telling people, you can get out of this, this isn't something you have to be in and you can sustain a job in what you love. 
then, you know, who was going to do it? So that's kind of why I show up. It's just really yeah. to show people you don't have to, um, you're not alone, you know, in that feeling. Because that's another thing that I hear a lot with educators is they kind of feel alone in it. It doesn't matter that there's, you know, a million people that need you at any given moment of the day. You can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. It still feels kind of lonely. And um, having, you know, support and somebody who's been there and done that was what I needed. And so that's kind of why I show up on, on social media and, you know, with my community. I'm so glad you do because I, I agree people need that place or even just people with the same understanding and the same goals and working towards the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking as you were talking there, do you think teachers, I feel like many are, we're control freaks. We want to control every aspect of every single thing around us. And we can't do that. Like, I don't care if your principle is the best or the worst. There's probably something you wish that could be changed, but you can't change it all. Or some things that are impacting your classroom, you know, you've got to get over it because everybody else is happy with that scenario or there's a, a bigger picture. Do you think sometimes that comes down to it? People are frustrated because they want to control all the things, but that's literally impossible. Right. Um, the locus of control that we have is, you know, we only can control what's in our little circle. Mm -hmm. I made a graphic about this at the beginning of the school year, really, because I was tending to feel a lot of the feelings. And then a lot of the teachers that I was, you know, talking with, they were like, I feel like I don't have any control. And so I made this graphic about what we can control and what we can't control. Mm -hmm. um, and it's similar to one that we would show our students, you know? Um, so yeah, I definitely think that that is a huge piece of the puzzle, feeling like you have to control all these little pieces, but really you just have to control what's in your bubble. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We would tell our kids, worry about yourself. Go play with somebody else at recess. Go do, you know, like do what you can. But yet we as adults don't do that ourselves. My stepson will say, stay in your lane. Right, Brittany? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I have absolutely loved talking with you today, Brittany. I have one last question and it's just a silly one. And it is, do you have an embarrassing teacher story that you were willing to share on the podcast? Sure. Um, so when I taught uh, my first year teaching, like I said, I taught kindergarten and I had this one student who I just couldn't get through to with letter sounds. So like I tried for weeks in a small group and then individual, and it was really disheartening because this child had yet to correctly identify a letter for like its corresponding sound. Uh -huh. but one day after lunch, I kept getting this smell in my nose and I was like, what is that smell? And so we gathered on the carpet for circle time and then I saw it and my student was like smiling from ear to ear and there on the letter P was poop. Oh my and God. At that time, I was completely grossed out, <laughs> but after I had time to process, I was actually really proud that he had finally like <laughs> correctly identified a letter with its corresponding sound. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell his parents or anybody like beyond that? I feel like that's just a laughable story that you have to share. 
Absolutely. I told his parents like that day in the car line and his <laughs> mom was like horrified. Oh, but for sure. I just, I, was, I just was like, but he got it. He got a letter. He got another letter. Yay. <laughs> and again, that's the special ed teacher mind of looking at like, finally, we're there. We're getting that. But you know what? Yeah, it's poop, but it's fine. <laughs> oh goodness well will you please tell listeners where they can find you online and then what will they find when they get there absolutely so i love connecting with educators on social media so they can find me on instagram at teaching mind body and soul or on tiktok as miss princess teach i do a lot of videos there that's kind of talking about burnout and how to get out um, I also have a podcast launching in the next month or so. It's called the Resilient Teacher Podcast. Um, so if you go and find that on Apple or um, on Spotify podcast uh, and subscribe, then you can be updated when that goes live. Um, but all of my information is in the links in my bio to kind of see what all I have to offer. I've got a bunch of freebies there um, as well to kind of help with the teacher overwhelm and stress. Uh, that's perfect. Before we conclude, I should have asked this earlier. Why do you love the word resilient? Like you've used it many times. It's in the name of your podcast. Why Why that word or kind of why is that the goal? I feel like self-care is overused. I feel like that is a term that is confusing because it's like, well, so I take a bubble bath. But being resilient is about more than that. It's about um, overcoming challenges and not just letting yourself stay in burnout. Um, but I also know that teachers are kind of frustrated with the word resilience because <laughs> we often hear um, administrators say, well, you need to be a re be more resilient. Well, here's a resilient whatever. Or um, thank you for being so resilient. Or, you know, like it's just, uh, yeah. Yes. My goal with that is really just to kind of change that perspective because we are already resilient, right? We are already resilient educators. If we are working in the midst of burnout or if we're working in unfavorable conditions, then we're already resilient because mm -hmm. we're still showing up and we're still doing those things. However, we can foster more resilience, better feeling resilience. Um, and that's really why I use that term versus self-care is because self-care can be so you know, <laughs> not fun to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think I agree. It's overused, misunderstood, so many misconceptions. So I think it's good. And don't we want to be resilient individuals, whether we're teachers or not? Like we yeah. want people to be resilient. You want to be able to kind of move and shift and adapt without losing it on the way. You know, you want to be resilient. That's a, a good goal. Even if that word has been, especially throughout COVID, I feel like definitely we heard that word a lot, you know, so. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I'm so grateful that you took time out of your Sunday afternoon to chat with me. And um, I hope people will follow and even look into your membership because I think that will be incredibly, incredibly valuable to them. Yes. Yes. I think so too. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're welcome. I'm so glad you were willing. Yes. All right. I'll talk with you later then. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.